Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team and a roller cruise oh my goodness oh laced into right center field take that lesson double for cruise another rbi hard hit in the right field this will score another o'neill cruise another rbi that was 111.8 miles an hour off the bat and O'Neal Cruz, another hit. That'll bring in Vogel back. What a night. O'Neal Cruz, four runs batted in. Diving stop, Cruz to his feet. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. All six sevens lays out. How about that play? Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. We've got a bunch of interesting things to talk about. We're going to look at the standings because some really interesting things have happened in the standings that you might not have noticed if you weren't paying close attention. We are going to get into, obviously, we're going to talk about O'Neill Cruz. If you've been paying attention to baseball, you've been paying attention to O'Neill Cruz. We're going to talk about the Yankees and their potential path to the all-time wins record. We're going to talk about Dansby Swanson, who hit a home run like five minutes ago, and what that means for his future and what's going on with him this year. And then, as always, Matt and I are going to talk about guys that you should talk about a little bit more. A sneak peek, my guy's from the Rays, Matt's guy is from the Pirates. So try to think about who those guys might be. Matt, we're going to start with the standings, and it felt to me like for most of the season... The standings have been somewhat consistent just in terms of who's the top the division. Like, obviously, it's been the Yankees and Mets. It's been the Astros and Dodgers. It's been the Twins and the Cardinals. And that's kind of been true almost every single day until it wasn't. <laughs> and that's where we are right now. Uh, at the moment we're recording this, the Cardinals are up in the Central. The Guardians are up in the American League Central. The Dodgers are tied with the Padres in the National League West. And just from the point of view of being a baseball fan, like setting aside any particular team allegiances, I say, hooray, like this is good. I am happy to see these kind of things. We have three divisions where there is a one game or zero game gap between first and second place, both centrals and the National League West. And as you pointed out to me this morning, would you believe if the playoffs started today, the Rays would not be in it? Where do you want to start? Which one of these interests you the most? Part of the reason I wanted to have this discussion, Mike, is because I did a couple double takes this week looking at the standings, noticing the Rays were on the outside looking in. 
I hadn't even realized until like I usually go through phases of a baseball season where like I'm checking the standings in April and then I'm like, ah, eh, it's a long season, and then I kind of forget about it for a while. And so like to do it, I, I, I had the same feeling as you did about the Rays as as the Padres when you were like, you know, they're tied with the they're tied with the Dodgers, and I was like, wait, what? What? I mean, they haven't had Tatis, but the the Padres. Let's start with the Padres because they're tied for first, and considering they're missing their their best player, he hasn't played all season. It's pretty remarkable. In fact, on Fangraphs today, Dan Zimborski published like a who is the most irreplaceable player in each league, looking at basically like which team's playoff odds would be most affected um, if you took out this player from their lineup. In the National League, you know, Corbin Burns was number one, and like Tatis was fourth, and like. This is the one team where we've actually seen this in practice. Like, this is, this is a big deal. So, yes, let's start with the Padres. I think, here's my premise on the Padres. They've been a little bit overlooked this season. And if you ask most Padres fans, I think the first thing they'll think of is East Coast bias, right? We don't pay attention to the West Coast teams. Maybe there's some truth to that because they play so late at night. But my premise is this. We hyped up the Padres so much last year, like wildly, and they fell flat on their faces, right? Huge disappointment. And then coming into this year, as you mentioned, Tatis got hurt. And I think that combination of those things maybe took away, and the ascension of the Giants, let's say also, maybe took away a little bit of the helium uh, for the Padres. And I, I think that was even true for the first month or so, because if you looked at the Padres offense for the first month, like Hosmer was killing it, but not in a way that you believed would ever sustain, and it hasn't. Manny Machado was killing it, and that was it. Like the lineup was dreadful, you know? And it's changed a little bit. Like Cronenworth has played well, Luke Voigt's been okay. Like, he's added some pop there. And even though Hosmer has, you know, somewhat expectedly not played well, like, the lineup has been uh, a little better. Have you noticed that Jorge Alfaro is slugging 500? And it's been, like, 37% above average? I, that is not something I would have expected. And, you know, they have maybe the best starting rotation in the league or the game. Like, I'm I'm in once again on San Diego Padres. Yeah, the Padres are actually, they're actually third in the majors in starting pitcher uh, war, according to Fangraphs. In what might be my favorite stat of the year, Joe Musgrove has made 12 starts. He has 12 quality starts. And I know a lot of people like, oh, quality starts, six runs, three runs allowed, three runs around. Like, that's not that impressive. But the thing is, most quality starts are actually much better than that. In fact, Joe Musgrove has not had a single start where he's even allowed three earned runs in any start this year. He did have one one weird start where he gave up, like, two earned runs and three unearned runs. So, like, yeah, there's definitely some weirdness there. But, like, 12 starts, 12 quality starts, that just doesn't happen anymore. Like, he's, like, been he's been a really reliable workhorse, although he actually went on the COVID IL. He's not really missing any time. So I'm not sure if that was just, like, a close contact thing. He's actually supposed to pitch again today. So that streak as we record on Thursday. So that streak could be in jeopardy. But, man, Joe Musgrove has been incredible. Darvish has been great of late, uh, averaging more than seven innings per start over his last five starts with a 2-2-3 ERA in that time. So, like, that 1-2 has been, like, has been, as you said, like, that 1-2 is as good as, good as, like, any in baseball this year. At least, you know, like, the Mets guys haven't been healthy. So, like, if you think of, like, the guys who've actually pitched, that's as good of a 1-2 maybe. You can talk about quality starts. That, that's fine. I'm going to go with um, he's allowed 14 to earn runs in 12 starts. Like, I think that's pretty cool. What did you say the rotation was, like third in war or yeah. somewhere thereabout? That's with Blake Snell generally being terrible and unavailable. Like, I know neither of us have been the hugest Snell fans in the world, but if he even comes back to, like, competency— 
that is an amazing starting rotation. The other thing I think people don't talk about enough with the Padres is that their defense has been fantastic. Number one in baseball by like a decent margin in outs above average. I would also say they had maybe the luckiest moment any team has had all year. A couple days ago, uh, Manny Machado was trying to beat out an infield hit and it looked like he twisted or possibly fractured his ankle. And it seems like it's not going to be a big deal, which is absolutely huge for them because he is arguably the MVP of the league, at least in the conversation. And, you know, we look at them being tied with the Dodgers and the Dodgers are so talented. I don't want to say they're in trouble because I don't think they're in trouble, but there is some cracks in the armor there, right? Like Walker Bueller is hurt. It's going to be out for a while. Mookie Betts is hurt. He shouldn't be out that long. Justin Turner looks a little toasty. Maybe let's go with that. I don't trust Cody Bellinger. They're playing Eddie Alvarez in right field. Like they're still the Dodgers, but the Padres, I think, have a chance to make this uh, a real a real race. Yeah, no question. You didn't even mention, you know, Max Muncie, who came off the IL and has continued to not hit. So, like, it's right. it's the I think it's it's I think this is I would not have thought of this as a race, but you consider that like the the Padres are going to get Tatis back, and it's taken a little longer than you would have thought. This is I think this is this is a real race, and that's not even talking about the other team in this division that's also been playing well despite a couple of tough losses this week. The Giants. The Giants are in this really weird spot where they had an immense amount of um, let's say pressure to prove that last year was real you know like the wild year that nobody saw coming how do you back it up and they have mostly done it in the sense that at the moment they're eight games over 500 but i don't i don't feel like they've looked great doing it like the defense has been an absolute wreck you know it's like really bad the the pitching has been like sort of hit or miss and they've had a lot of guys hurt um you know the, the betting on the old players again like brandon bell and brandon crawford hasn't worked out that well but you know what they're doing again is like, here are random guys that we're going to get and they're going to be good. Luis Gonzalez, not the one who hit 57 home runs for the Diamondbacks 20 years ago, at a 127 OPS plus. About an hour ago, maybe less, they traded for Willie Calhoun from Texas. And Matt and I both had kind of the exact same reaction. Oh, he's going to be a guy they turn into a dude. There's a formerly top rated prospect for the Dodgers who was traded to Texas in the Darvish deal. Never really panned out. They tried to change his swing. He got pretty upset about it. I am very excited for the Willie Calhoun renaissance. Uh, maybe he'll be one of our guys in the next week or two. <laughs> Would not shock me. He's always hit the minors, I think, and the Giants. He's like such a, a perfect Giants change of scenery candidate. Now let's let's move over to the AL and talk about a couple of the surprising teams in the AL because I think I mean the Guardians just don't lose anymore, so they're now in first place in the AL Central, something I definitely did not see coming. Here is a list of six names. Emmanuel Classe, Eli Morgan, Trevor Steffen, Sam Hentges, Brian Shaw, and Eniel De Los Santos. How many of those names are real? Uh, the answer is all of them. Those are, <laughs> those are all Cleveland relievers who uh, are off to... It's an interesting group because... Five of those guys you may not know very well, and the sixth is Brian Shaw, and you're thinking, wait, is that is that the same Brian Shaw? That's the guy who was there like during the Andrew Miller days and then went and imploded in Colorado? And yeah, uh, it, it's him. Trevor Steffen has an incredible split finger. Eli Morgan has a monster changeup. And Manu Classe just like casually tosses out 102-mile-an-hour cutters in on your hands like it's no big deal. And I think we, we got into them a little bit last week. When we talked about uh, Andre Jimenez, you know, and like how the offense has been surprisingly good, and it, it's still true. The infield has been great. The outfield has been kind of a wreck. But I found this really interesting quote about, you know, what what is Andre Jimenez doing differently this year? And this is from Cleveland.com. It said, uh, Terry Francona said Jimenez needed to stop trying to pull the ball like Jose Ramirez. And once he did that, he thrived. The numbers, a little bit. His pull-up percentage is actually unchanged. 
But what's fascinating to me is he took all of his oppo last year and now it's up the middle, right? Like you can see it clearly in the numbers. He's not hitting opposite anymore. He's just hitting it straight up the middle. And I don't know. I wonder, there is no official ban on shifting in place for next year yet. I think we expect it's going to happen, but there is nothing yet. Are they pre-planning for this in some way? And will it will it benefit them next year if it happens? Or will we laugh if it doesn't happen? That could happen too. I mean, part of their thing has been having hitters who make a lot of contact. And, like, you know, it's it's hard to win that way. You don't want to oversell that as, like, but they do have the highest contact rate in the league. And it's, like, you know, it's not just Jose Ramirez. I mean, even last night I was watching they had this incredible comeback against the Twins where they were down 10-7 in the ninth and they, they scored four runs. And it was, like, it was... They they basically they they got second and third with um, n- no outs and they had, they had I think they already had one run in after a Josh Naylor double double off the wall he almost tied it with a home, with a, with a homer so second and third no outs and Oscar Gonzalez comes up and it's just like oh this is a guy who's gonna make contact and like in that situation when all you really need is like you just want to tie the game so you want him to move the runner over hopefully at the very least and. He actually got a bloop single, scored both runs, and then like Andres Jimenez came up, and it was actually he he moved to second base on the throw home, and Andres Jimenez came up, and it was one situation where it's like you know what like a bunt would actually could could be useful here, and Jimenez and I mentioned this last week when we talked about Jimenez, just a super fundamentally sound player, laid down basically the most perfect sacrifice bunt you could ever see, moved the runner to third, next guy up, first pitch, sacrifice fly to the outfield, like it was a fun rally to watch that was at least like indicative of the team they're trying to be it's unclear like how sustainable that is because it's not like their offense is a juggernaut and you still probably need some power but they're trying to win a certain way and you know it is working they play in a weak division but that's i mean you, you win the games on your schedule i've been very surprised and i think what's really interesting about this team is that they've got a lot of easy places to upgrade and with the trade deadline coming up they're a team that actually could make themselves significantly better um they just have a they have a new minority owner david blitzer who just put a lot of cash in the team there's rumors that like eventually he might become the prior the the majority owner down the road like they've been a pretty low payroll team the last few years it wouldn't take much is this is this uh wilson Contreras home they could use it they could use some offensive catcher like this is a really interesting interesting team all of a sudden yeah i'm with you on that i think the only place i will be a minor buzzkill is that i think this year's trade deadline is not going to be as let's say like bright shining lights as in years past that's partially because there's more teams in the postseason so you know fewer teams want to trade away good players i think it's also partially because the teams that are clearly not going to be in it are just not great <laughs> you know like like where are you finding an outfielder are you interested in like charlie blackman at this point are you interested in i mean maybe the cubs will trade ian happ he could be a really interesting fit there i'll give you that but i, I think it's gonna be hard for them to find uh those guys and you know at, at the same time like twins are only a game behind and carlos correa is heating up he looks great over the last couple weeks alex kirilov who i'm a big fan of um finally got called back up he looks pretty good problem is their bullpen is just completely collapsing they need like four new relievers and i'm i'm not sure where to get them but you know they i think they're going to be in the race but they would not be in the playoffs they would be in the playoffs they would actually face each other if the playoffs started today which would be cleveland versus minnesota if you watch the game last night which was wild that would be a super fun series to watch uh but the thing is if you look at the american league you know who would not be in the playoffs the tampa bay rays I can't remember if I picked them to make the playoffs. I'm sure I picked Toronto and the Yankees 1-2 in the East. I guess I probably picked the Rays as a wildcard team because I'm sure I didn't pick Cleveland. Um, 
And I'm guessing you did the same? I think I had the Rays winning winning the National League East. I mean, the American League East, if I'm being honest. Wow. So, like, um, I'll, I'll, I will not run away from that. I'm pretty sure I did. But, man, they... They they've been battered by injuries. Not to make it like it, it's just the reality, and as a result, they they just haven't really been able to score runs. They're twentieth in the majors in weighted runs created plus, and now it's like they already were missing Brandon Low and or is it Lau? I can never remember. <laughs> I think that one's low, but now you're now you're making me second guess because they've they've got the other one. They have two now. They have Josh Lau. So. Uh, Brandon Lowe been hurt for a while. Wander Franco's been out for a while, and I think he might have been banged up even when he was playing. Uh, Mike Zanino's been hurt this this week. Manny Margot went on the IL. He might be out for a while. Kevin Kiermaier went on the IL. Like, it's they're really relying on their depth more than ever. Like, yes, the Rays have always been like, hey, we've got depth, but like, man, there's only so far you can go. Wander Franco played in AAA last night in a rehab assignment. He cannot come back soon enough, but he needs to be like the healthy, dynamic Wander Franco we saw in August and September of last year. Otherwise, he's not going to make a difference. Yeah, I. I... I didn't pick this guy as my guy for the week, but I came very close, which was Isak Paredes, who I wish I had the numbers in front of me. Hit like four home runs and four at-bats against the Yankees the other day. He's got nine home runs, and um, he's the guy they they got from Detroit for Austin Meadows and had previously come from the Cubs in a deal for one of Matt's guys, which was Justin Wilson, like five years ago. He didn't do anything with the Tigers, and all of a sudden here he is in Tampa Bay. He got nine home runs in 99 plate appearances. I don't want to pile on the Tigers anymore. It feels like it's not fun anymore considering their season. But if you're a Tigers fan and you're watching that, you're just your head has got to be in your hands. Like it, it's happened a couple of times now. I'm with you on the race. I I think they'll get healthy. I trust their pitching to continue to be very good because Shane McClanahan looks like an absolute dude, and Shane Boz looks like an absolute dude. Like I think they're going to stick around because they're too good not to. But I've got a lot of questions um, about that about that pitching. They would they would not be in the playoffs if it started today. If it was today, now remember there's a new postseason format this year the top there's six teams in each league of the playoffs top two teams get a bye so the american league that's yankees and astros who coincidentally play this weekend it would be guardians versus twins three versus six it would be blue jays and red Sox four or five those are some pretty fun series in the national league mets dodgers would be the buys right now three six would be cardinals giants four fives would be padres braves i like all of those series i want to watch all of those series and maybe we'll get one can you imagine if it went like this and we ended up with, and it's not going to stay like this, but just like fun thought exercise in the National League? You have, because uh, it goes, the division series will have the top seed play the 4 5 winner and the runner up plays the 3 6 winner. The brackets remain fixed, no reseeding. So you could have a uh, NLDS that's Mets Braves on one side and Dodgers Giants on the other side. <laughs> yes, I want and that. And then on the American League, you could have Yankees Red Sox on one side and. Uh, Astros versus Guardians or Twins on the other side, I guess. But in this in this scenario, the Twins would somehow manage to avoid the Yankees for the first two rounds, which I'm sure they'd yes. be thrilled about. You know what else would happen in this scenario? We've expanded the playoffs. The Angels would still not be in it, <laughs> which makes me sad. Uh, Shohei Otani, the last like, two days, I think last night he had one of his best ever starts, and the night before he hit two home runs. And they lost. What, he drove in eight and they lost, which is like the most Angels thing that you could possibly do. It makes me sad. I don't know if you could expand the playoffs to 28 teams and get them into the playoffs. It's just, it's the worst. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We're going to move into our three banner minimum. And it would be negligent of us to do a baseball podcast this week and not talk about O'Neill Cruz. Pirates fans have been angsting all season long for him to come up. Here's what he did in the first three innings of his first game of the season. Uh, He threw a ball from shortstop at 96.7 miles an hour. That's the hardest throw by an infielder in the majors this year. He hit a ball 112.9 miles an hour, the hardest hit ball of the year by a Pirate. And he had the three fastest sprint speeds, that's running speed of the year by a Pirate, in three innings. Now, I know the Pirates aren't a very good team, and maybe you think, well, the bar is low. I I disagree with you. When you can come up and do that in like 45 minutes of real-time action, you know that's something special. Remember last year he was up for like a minute. He hit a ball 118.2 miles an hour. He has two of the four hardest hit balls by a Pirates over last season and this season. He, at the moment has 23 career plate appearances. I think you can see what the Pirates, uh, what the Pirate fans uh, were looking forward to. I don't know if he can stay at shortstop, but man, is that guy fun to watch. That throw he had, 96.7 miles an hour. I cannot remember the last baseball highlight I watched as many times as that throw. Right. I, I, I watched it like 50 times. <laughs> and, like... and it was a 6-3. It wasn't like, you know, Javi Baez does something amazing. It was a ground ball to shortstop. That's it. <laughs> it is actually the second in the history of StatCast, going back to 2015, is the second hardest throw we've ever tracked by a shortstop throwing to first base. No, sorry, the third fastest. Only one of the... Only one of their shortstop has thrown the ball harder from shortstop to first base, and that's Fernando Tatis Jr., who's done it twice. And I will say this, because sometimes pitch velocity can also be deceiving. Based on the eye test, Cruz's throws definitely looked a little bit harder. They were like half, they were <laughs> yeah. they were half, you know, like a half a mile per hour slower than than um, than our than uh, Tatis's. As our producer Alex pointed out before the show, the, the throw was harder than any of the pitches thrown in the game. Um, <laughs> I have not fact-checked this, but I'm trusting Alex. No, it's true. I can't remember who started for the Pirates uh, that night, but he was asked about that, and he was like, man, why does he got to do me like that? Like, a great play, but he threw it harder than anything I threw tonight. Like, it's it's ridiculous. And then there was also, the other thing that was about it was there was also the triple that Cruz hit, and you, like, saw him rounding second base with just a big smile on his face. Just like grinning ear to ear, and it was one of the, one of the, one of the best images of the season thus far. When you're, you know... You're rooting for a team that's rebuilding. You need something to, 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 to be excited about, a reason to watch the games, a reason to go to the ballpark, and O'Neill Cruz is one of those reasons. 
I got to say, as a person who has spent a good deal of my baseball life uh, being a sometimes rabid supporter of the Dodgers, watching O'Neill Cruz and Jordan Alvarez do insane baseball things over the last week or so has has made me feel some feelings. Um, I know they needed really... Now you're thinking about it. I can see you. You're like, wait a minute. What? No, I, I, knew, was I, I knew O'Neill... I'm trying to remember... I'm just trying to remember what the trade was. I know Jordan Alvarez was... Was that... Josh Fields? Josh Fields before it was a Tat, uh, Fernando Tatis situation. He had not yet played a pro game, so he was like a total unknown. They traded him for Josh Fields, who was like you know decent, and then um, O'Neill Cruz was traded for Tony Watson when they needed a veteran reliever for the stretch, and like totally defensible trades. Like it's not like the Dodgers have suffered. <laughs> Just imagine if you were Don Alvarez was their DH right now, and they were calling up O'Neill Cruz to play, you know, third base or whatever because they have Turner. Or, or since Turner's a free agent, they're preparing Cruz to be their shortstop next year. That's an alternate future. That's a Doctor Strange timeline that we're not quite into yet. The thing about Cruz that stood out, aside from all the obvious skills, is uh, 14 plate appearances, only one strikeout, which is that's cool. Only three hits. I'll say that. Um, I did want to. I wanted to point out something interesting though, and I know I'm getting like. 12 miles ahead of myself. So Pirates fans wanted Cruz called up on opening day, clearly. And that didn't happen. He stayed down, you know, whether to work on some skills or so that he was one year delayed to free agency. Probably yes to all those things. He, he was he was he was terrible in AAA for what it's worth. Uh, he was for, for the I, first for the first month. For the first yeah, first six weeks. Absolutely true. And then he like turned it on after that. So that is hundred percent true. Um but remember there there's a new wrinkle with the new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, top prospects who finish first or second in the rookie of the year voting will receive the full year of service time. So I, you know, he's got three hits. I'm not trying to say he's going to win Rookie of the Year, although as we've talked about before, the NL class is, I think, a little lesser than the American League classes. You know, there's there's more room there. I'm just saying it, it could happen. If he, like, goes off for the next two months, that could be a thing that happens. Oh, I, I think it's—I I hadn't thought about it to this moment, but I think it's, it's a very real possibility. I think that our last Rookie of the Year poll, we had Mackenzie Gore in first, but he just had a stinker of a start, and, like— who knows what kind of durability he's going to have. I think we already had, I think, guys like Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman who were in-season call-ups in the top five. So, like, it's not, you know, there's there's a lot of fluidity there. It would not be hard to see um, O'Neill Cruz to make it into the top two. Of course, as you said, he's right now he's three for, three hits and 14 plate appearances. Right. So he actually needs to start producing. <laughs> Let's cool it. <laughs> but it's, some, it's something, to, something to monitor if he does heat up. Yeah, and the Pirates, by the way, like, you know, it's 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 been a long time coming where they're trying to rebuild, and they're 28 and 40 at the moment, so let's not go nuts on, oh, they're, they're in it to win it, um, but they, over the last two weeks or so, have really kind of leaned in to you know, the youth movement here. I, I compared their lineup on Tuesday, when they beat the Cubs, to their lineup on opening day, and only four of the spots were the same, and two of those make sense, Cabrian Hayes at third and Brian Reynolds in center field. Like, those are young guys you want to build around. Um, they also had Dan Vogelback DHing and Hoy Park at second, who, you know, maybe more of a, a space filler, but different catcher, different first baseman, different shortstop, different left fielder, different right fielder, different pitcher. I'm not going to name all of them because one of those guys is Matt's guy. And he'll get to him in a minute. Do you know Jack Swinski has 11 home runs? Maybe I should back up. Do you know who Jack Swinski is? Can't say I did until two weeks ago. He was one of the guys that came over from San Diego in the uh, Adam Frazier deal, which now looks great because Frazier hasn't hit at all for two teams. So trading him when they did seems to make sense, and Sawinski's got some real pop there. I'll admit I, I knew the name. I did not realize he had 11 home runs, and I did not realize he is—yeah, uh, that's interesting. 
Yeah, they've also uh, done some pitching changes. For example, JT Brubaker and Mitch Keller have completely changed the way they pitch over the last month, going back to full sinkers, which is kind of funny. The Pirates had a lot of success around, let's say, 2014, being like ahead of the game with shifting and ground balls into shift. And then they held on to that too long when everybody else went high spin four seamers. And now they're kind of going back to realizing, oh, well, one thing works for somebody and it doesn't work for somebody else. Like Mitch Keller's four seamer, I could have told you two years ago, is straight and it doesn't move and gets killed. And now he's throwing a sinker and it's actually working out for him. It's fun to see how we've uh, we've evolved there with the Pirates. Let's move on to the Yankees. Do you know that the Yankees are on pace for 120 wins? Do you think the Yankees are actually going to get 120 wins, Matt? I'm going to say no. Um, Probably not because they're... They're the only team that's actually running away from their division and running away with like the top one of the top two seeds, which is like you know the, the with the new playoff format, that's really what matters is being one of the top two seeds. So I think that like there will probably not be a ton of motivation at the end of the season to necessarily win every game. That said, and part of the reason we're talking about this is you wrote about this today, um, looking at a breakdown of sort of like okay, what is the pa- Yankees' path to 117 wins, which would be the all-time single-season win record, and what did you find? Well, it's interesting. They have scored the most runs and they've allowed the fewest, which is a pretty good way to win a lot of baseball games. The the trouble with like being on pace for anything is assuming that what has happened is what will happen, right? And some of that's trades. Like we don't know what the roster will look like. A lot of it is injuries. And I think that's the thing that stood out to me. I did not realize how healthy the team has been. Now, they've had some bullpen injuries, like Chapman's been out, uh, Chad Green's out for the year. The oldest lineup in the majors, the only notable position player trips to the injured list, John Carlos Stanton was out for 10 days, and Josh Donaldson was out for 10 days. Like, that is it. So when I look at their pace, I'm like, that's not going to keep up. One of those guys, or Aaron Judge, or somebody, or DJ LeMahieu, is going to miss, like, six weeks. Like, it's going to happen. Or they'll take their foot off the pedal, like you said. But anyway, I wanted to see, like, if you start out as as good as they have, uh, what happens? And so I looked in the history of AL and NL baseball through 69 games, and only a dozen teams started out as well as they have. And a lot of those came in like old-timey baseball. It's, it's hard for me a little bit to say, well, based on what the 1902 Pirates did, I know what's going to happen to the 2022 Yankees. <laughs> Even so, I looked. Uh, the most recent team was the 98 Yankees, who arguably the best team of all time. Before that, the 1984 Tigers, who were phenomenal. Oh, excuse me. I forgot about the 2001 Mariners. They're in that list as well. So anyway, there's a dozen teams that started out that good. How many, Matt, of those dozen teams, if you look at their season through 69 games, how many of those dozen teams do you believe played equally as good or better after that point of the season? Zero. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's the thing. It's the whole point. You get to this, but it's hard to do this. Um, every single one of those teams played worse, but cumulatively, like all of those teams after their good start played to a 100 and win pace over 162 games. Like the whole point is you got to be really good to do this. You don't fake your way into this. Like things have to go right for you. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not going to keep happening this way. Like, I don't think Aaron Judge is hitting 63 home runs this year. I don't think Rizzo is hitting 45 home runs this year. I think what's going to happen is that they're a very good team that has had everything go the right way, and they are going to end up with like 105 wins and the first division, and the first buy, like the first seed, and that ultimately nobody will care if they don't get the ring because, hey, what happened to those 2001 Mariners? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, the the one sort of like, you know, intriguing point that stood out to me is right now they have a 739 winning percentage. 
to tie the Mariners, 116 wins, they need a 699 winning percentage the rest of the way. And to top them, they need a 709 winning percentage the rest of the way. So, like, you look at it that way and you're like, oh, they actually don't even need to play as well as they have to break the record. That said, still winning 70% of your games over a 93-game span is still something that's pretty rare. And one thing you pointed out in your story is that, like, it's also especially rare for teams to do it at the end of a season. Because, like, you know, all those other factors, injuries pile up, maybe they have less to play for. So it's like the, some of the, these, these like, as I read it, like, and maybe, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, like, the idea is that, like, it's in some ways the, these, like, historic stretches of, like, 700 ball are more likely to happen earlier in the season than they are later in the season. Yeah, only, only four teams in the last 50 years have done it to end a season. One of those teams was the big red machine. You know, like these are historically great teams here. Uh, so like they're they're not going to necessarily come back to earth in the sense that they won't be good. I think it's clear they're going to be very good. One thing I was thinking about, and I, I should have looked this up beforehand and I didn't. So th- this isn't like, let's say the Royals or the Rockies on this kind of pace. So we all thought the Yankees would be a, a very quality baseball team, right? But clearly nobody thought they'd be this good. So I'm wondering, are they outplaying their projections by as much as last year's Giants did? And I don't know the answer to that. Maybe not because I, I guess everybody thought the Giants were like a 78-win team. But they're clearly doing something uh, that we that we did not quite expect. And hey, they're playing the Astros this weekend. Like that, I'm so excited for that series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Our third topic, uh, Dansby Swanson is doing something interesting and will be an interesting player this offseason. He's going to be a free agent. We'll get to that in a second. Right before we started recording, the Astros, or excuse me, the uh, Atlanta and the Giants started playing, and Alex Wood threw a 91 mile an hour fastball to Dansby Swanson, who promptly crushed it for a home run. And I laughed because when you look at what Dansby Swanson has done against fastballs this year, he's hitting, entering today, 356 with a 638 slugging. And you look at what he's done against not fastballs, and it's considerably worse than that. He does not have a home run against a breaking ball or an off-speed pitch. He actually entered the day with the eighth best weighted on base against fastballs, and most of the names are great. Um, Harper, Soto, Judge, Arenado, Devers, Jose Ramirez in reverse order. Number one, how many guesses would I have to give you to get to William, not Wilson, William Contreras? Wow, did not see that coming. Um, But he is 176th of 226 on not fastballs. I thought that gap would be number one. It's actually not. Juan Soto has the largest gap, and he's having a weird year. Where do you stand on what Dansby Swanson is doing as he enters his free agency year? I mean, I obviously had not realized that. I mean, he's had 11 home runs all on fastballs. That's crazy. Um... I don't know what to make of him. He's had a weird career where, I mean, he was the number one overall pick in the draft, part of that famous trade or infamous trade, depending on your side of it. Um, the power has been pretty consistent the last couple of years, you know, slugging in like the 450, 460 range. So it feels like that power is real. But um, very reliable defender, great player for the Braves. He interests me as, you know, you, know, you, you hate to get ahead of yourself because – you know, there's baseball going on now. We don't need to worry about the offseason. But, like, there's this, like, good, like, last year everyone thought, oh, this amazing class of shortstops in the free agent market. Like, this year's free agent class might be just as good, if not better, because there's Swanson, there's Trey Turner, and then there's almost certainly Carlos Correa and Xander Bogarts who have opt-outs in their contracts. So you have, like, again, like, bam, four guys, you know, Correa as a repeat. And it's like, wow, that's a really interesting group. And so it's, you know, when I— I'm constantly sort of like recalibrating them in my head as the season goes on. They're, all of them are having like 
very good years of different of different um, different ilk, and it's a it's a really interesting group. Do you think the uh, uncertain starts of last year's great free agency class will affect how people view this? Like last year, we talked about Corey Seager, been okay for Texas. Uh, Marcus Simeon has been kind of lousy for Texas. Javier Baez has been a mess. Story got off to an incredibly slow start, though he's been better lately. And then Correa has, you know, really looked fantastic. Do you you think teams are going to say, I don't know. (laughs) I honestly, it really depends because like, you know, Correa, like, I mean, sorry, Story, like, you know, three three or four weeks ago went on a, went on a heater and he's come back to earth a little bit, but like, at least you're kind of like, okay, the, the player's still there. Simeon's been reasonably competent for the last month, somewhat good, although the batted balls metrics are still not great. But his overall numbers over the last month or so have been like, okay, like, this guy's okay. And Baez, at least over the last, like, week has been raking again. So I think that, like, by the end of the season, teams can get amnesia about this sort of thing. Um, so I think teams will talk themselves into this this crop of players again. I think the bigger question is just, like, you know, where do they all end up? Because it's always a game of musical chairs, and someone ends up, you know, you know, not like not that Trevor Story didn't do well for himself, but he ended up playing second base on a team he probably never saw himself going to. So I think like again, if you have these four guys, knowing that you know a lot of the like the, the big market teams already have, you know, shortstops locked in, who's going to sign them? Where are they going to go? How is this all going to play out? Yeah, and it's obviously premature to get into it, but it seems pretty clear to me the Dodgers will need a shortstop, the Phillies will need a shortstop, and the Giants may potentially be in the market for a shortstop. But we have plenty of time to get to that. All right, we're going to take a quick break and get back to guys you should know a little bit more about. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Mike. Hey Mike. Yeah. Dansby Swanson just homered on a flashball. Get out of here! Really? I'm dead serious. No way. I'm 100 percent oh. serious. Okay, I'm, we're coming back with that. That's amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and if it sounds like I'm laughing, it's because I am. Uh, as we like took a 30-second break there, Matt informed me that Dansby Swanson just homered off another home run, <laughs> which is amazing. I, I imagine he was listening live to our show on the field. <laughs> now those numbers are even cooler. So take everything I said like five minutes ago and give them a boost of plus two home runs and for God's sake, San Francisco, do not throw the man another fastball. <laughs> what are we doing out here? <laughs> All right. Well, now that I'm fully distracted by that, uh, we like to talk about a guy you should talk about more. Mine is interesting because he is someone who has come up in like 
totally unrelated conversations the last couple of days. Uh, this is Harold Ramirez of the Rays. I noticed him, you know, for, let's say, three different reasons. One is because a, a recent former uh, colleague of ours, Jared Martin, who just left when he sent his email saying song, he's like, hey, I love the podcast and talk about Harold Ramirez. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And then I noticed him right now. He is number five on the expected batting average StatCast charts behind Jordan Alvarez, Bryce Harper, Tim Anderson, and Michael Brantley. That's pretty good company. And then the other night, he hit maybe the funniest home run you'll see all year. He hit a home run off Nestor Cortez in Tampa Bay. It was tracked at 85.4 miles an hour of exit velocity. It was, and this is 100% true, the softest hit home run StatCast has ever tracked, at least over the fence ones I'm excluding inside the parkers here. I didn't think you could even get a ball that far, 85.4 miles an hour. If you watch it, it just snuck right over the wall in Tampa Bay. And Matt, you have... A thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that like it, when I watched it, because I saw, I, I, I saw like the oh, sure. So the thing is, when I watched it, it actually didn't strike me as like comically softly like, hit because it went right down the line over that like really low wall um, in Tampa, the same one that like you know Evan Longoria hit that you know famous home run in Game One Sixty Two in I think Two Thousand Eleven. So like it actually didn't. I mean, it was clearly softly hit relative to other home runs, but like like it didn't necessarily it was it was definitely a bit deceiving to the eye i will say okay thanks for being a buzzkill thanks for uh taking down my harold ramirez talk harold has been around the block a lot um signed with the pirates as a free agent back in 2011 he was signed <laughs> traded to toronto in 2016 he was a free agent he signed with the marlins he had like a brief minute in 2019 where he had some like I don't know, maybe three or four big hits for the Marlins, and I that kind of, on that team, raised him to superhero status because he wasn't actually that good, and everybody lost their mind when he didn't make the team the next year. Uh, he was, went to Cleveland on waivers, didn't do much. He was purchased by the Cubs last year, and on March 25th, he was traded by the Cubs to the Rays for a minor leaguer. And now, kind of because of the injury issues we talked about before, he's their primary DH playing a little bit of first base, playing a little bit of outfield. Uh, but he is kind of the primary DH. He had this interesting quote a couple weeks ago where he's like, hey, I'm sick of hitting the ball on the ground. Help me hit it in the air. He's hitting 301, 343, 410. That's really good. As I said, he's very high on the expected batting average charts because he makes a lot of contact. He makes the kind of contact that doesn't necessarily go for you know home run distances, but a lot of like line drives landing in front of the outfielders. How long is that going to last? I don't know. But he has entered my consciousness in so many different ways over the last two weeks. I had to get it all out. And now Harold Ramirez has had his moment in the podcast, son. And he definitely, I mean, as we talked about with the Rays, considering how they can't really score, he's been a, he's been a bit of a godsend for them because he's been one of their best hitters at a time when they desperately need uh, hitters. Um, my guy for this week, and yes, we're going back to the Pirates, it is Pirates outfielder Bly Madris, who is believed to be the first MLB player of Palauan descent or from Palau. He was actually not born in Palau, so that's why I said Palauan descent. But his his father was born in Palau. Um, I was this was brought to my attention by my friend whose mother's from Palau, who was very, very excited about Madrid making his MLB debut. Um, and he's I wouldn't say he's necessarily part of the buyer's youth movement, but it's like been very exciting to see, as you mentioned, they've like kind of changed their lineup completely around and the kids on the team are kind of, there's like a, there's a vibe. Like when Madris hit his first home run of the day and like Cal Mitchell was like, greet him in the dugout and Cal Mitchell was like super excited. These guys have played the minors together for years. Um, and so it's, it's nice to see. Um, Madris was a, uh, as I said, grew up in Vegas, ninth round pick out of Colorado Mesa in 2017. 
Colorado is a D2 school in Grand Junction, Colorado, Grand Junction, Colorado. He was raking in AAA this year, 304, 386, 519. For those of you who don't know, Palau, Palau is a small island in the West Pacific. It is nestled in somewhere in the ocean between the Philippines and Guam. Um, baseball actually has a long history there. It was brought there by the Japanese during um, Japanese occupation of the country in the mid-20th century. It has its own professional league, even though it has fewer than 20,000 20, people. Like, it's a pretty cool story and kind of speaks to just how international um, baseball truly is. So it's hard not to root for, for this guy, at least in, in my mind. I like that. I, I, I like what the Pirates are doing. I like that they are interesting in a way that they were not interesting as recently as, like, two weeks ago. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.